tasked with the assignment to subtly turn these candles on. That has now been subtly completed. It's good to have you in service this morning. Let's stand together for an opening morning of prayer. I was thinking this morning, I was encouraged this morning, praying that the Lord's presence would be in the youth convention this morning over in Beavertown, that God's presence would be there, but so thankful that he is the omnipotent, omniscient, infinite God whose presence can meet in a powerful way in Beavertown and at the exact same time meet in a powerful way with us here this morning. He's not limited. We serve an infinite God. I'm thankful. I'm so thankful for that this morning. Let's open the service with prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you for this day. Thank you for the privilege of gathering together to worship you, God. We invite your presence this morning in our service. We ask, Lord, that you would come, help us to worship you, lift you up and praise you, give you honor and glory today. We'll serve you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Brother Adrian's coming to lead us in our singing. All right. Let's get our hymn books this morning, if you would. Turn to number 297. 297. Spirit of the Living God. something about this chorus. When the Spirit of God does a work in your life, there's some things that happen. There's some things that happen. And this is a prayer, and the prayer is that the Spirit of the living God would fall fresh. That means up to date. Now, and when he does, these things happen. There's a melting, there's a molding, there's a filling, and then there's a using. These things happen when you're filled with the Spirit. And I trust that as we sing this again, that that's your prayer this morning. That's my prayer that the spirit of the living God would fall fresh and anew on me this morning. Let's sing that one more time. Spirit of the
328. 328. Song asks a question. Are you washed in the blood? I trust this morning that you can answer that question with a hearty yes. I am washed in the blood this morning. 328. Have you been to Jesus for the to this morning. Let's sing 362. 
give you an opportunity to testify this morning, saying, I belong to the king. The question was asked in the last song, are you washed? Now we can testify, yes. I belong to the king, 362. <clears throat> I belong to the King, I'm a child of His love, I shall dwell in His palace so fair, for He tells of His bliss in your heaven above, and His children His for your good singing this morning. Amen. Thank you for leading us in that singing this morning, Brother Adrian. Appreciate the message, the songs. Appreciate that it's a reality in my life to think that I...
The worst of sinners could be called a child of the king, the holiest of all, is one of the greatest, it, just beyond imagination, miracle that it truly is. But I'm thankful for it this morning. And it's all because of his grace. It's all because of what he has done. And we give him praise this morning. And we have the opportunity to go before that king, the holiest of all, in prayer, to boldly, as the New Testament tells us, boldly, Enter his presence to make our petitions, to make our requests known to him. And so we're going to do that corporately this morning, joining together, lifting our voices to the Lord this morning. And as we pray, uh, we want to remember Jacinda Mason in our prayers. Thankful for God's help in the surgery this week. Um, and, and thankful that the pain levels seem to be very low. But let's be, but let's be praying for Jacinda. Uh, she has a long road of recovery uh, ahead of her. She's not allowed to move her arm in any way, shape, or form uh, for a couple of weeks. And so let's just be praying for her. Lord, would be with Jacinda. Touch her and help her. Let's remember her this morning. The Marge DeBell family, this would be Sister Spangler's aunt, uh, passed away. Let's be remembering this family in our prayers this morning. A request came in for Matt Ferguson, who was in a farming accident um, this week. Let's be remembering this individual in our prayers. Lord would touch him and help him. Susan Nyman continues to need our prayers. Uh, praying for Susan uh, this morning. Rebecca, we've been praying for Rebecca. Thankful to hear Rebecca's doing much better, but let's continue to remember her. Um, Anna, been praying for Anna. The Lord's been helping Anna, but let's continue to remember Anna this morning as well. The youth convention going on over uh, in Be at Beavertown right now, as far as I know, the service is going on right now, that God's presence would be there, that God would have his will performed in those services, that he would minister to the hearts of the young people and those gathered together, uh, the, the speakers, the preachers, that God would just help each one of them. Let's pray uh, for them this morning. Praying for the Spanglers also. They're traveling home uh, tomorrow. Let's be praying for them, that God would give them traveling mercies as they travel home. It's a lot of requests this morning, but we have a God who is, who is capable for each one, who has the answer for each one, and he has the answer for the requests not mentioned this morning. He has the answers for the unspoken needs upon your heart. God knows about each one of those. He's the infinite God. Nothing is too big for him. I'm thankful. I'm thankful for that this morning. Do you have any requests you would like to make mention of before we go to prayer? Remember Stephen in prayer this morning. Sure. Let's pray for Brittany's mom this morning. All right. Unspoken needs signified by an upraised hand. Remembering those as well. As we stand together this morning, asking Brother Adrian this morning, would you come here? Would you to the or to the pulpit here? Lead us in prayer this morning. Let's all lift our voices together with him today. Lord, we come to you this morning in prayer. We are so thankful that we can bring our needs to you. Songwriter said, what a friend we have in Jesus, all of our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege we have to carry everything to God in prayer. Thank you, Lord, that we can bring our needs to you. But we want to praise you, Lord, first of all, for what you have done. You have been good to us. You have saved us. You've delivered us from the evil sin. 
the degradation, Lord, that the heart of man is plagued with. We're glad this morning that you have forgiven us, forgiven us of our sins, Lord. Thank you for your wonderful plan of salvation, Lord. Thou art worthy this morning of our praise. Thou art worthy of our communication with you today, for we love you so much, Lord. Thank you for the opportunity we have of being in thy house today to worship. Lord, we give you praise for all that you've done. Now you've heard, you've heard all of the requests, and as we collectively bring them to you this morning, we know that you will hear, we know that you will answer our prayers. As we remember those that we can think of at this time, Lord, I pray that you would suit a special blessing and a touch. Appreciate, Lord, a touch on Jacinda Mason this morning, Lord. You're able to help her through these next few weeks, Lord, and give her a complete healing. Thou art able this morning. Thank you, Lord, for what you've done for Anna Stolzfus. Lord, I pray that you would continue, Lord, to give her the touch. And thank you, Lord, for the touch this morning on my wife. And I praise you for that and continue to help her. Uh, Lord, there are others this morning that have been mentioned uh, that have serious needs. Uh, we can think uh, of our own situations, Lord, and the things that we've heard this last week and the bad news that we keep hearing, Lord. Thou art able to meet the needs of people today. Bless those that are here this morning. We know uh, there are some here that have been suffering for some time now. Be with Sister Doris, Lord, and Sister Naomi uh, and others, Lord, today. I pray that you would just touch those that have made an effort to come out to your house Lord, this morning, Lord. Uh, we think about the youth convention today. Thank you, Lord, for helping in the services this week. And I pray that you would continue to bless and help in the closing services of this great convention. Lord, we need our young people desperately. We need them in our churches. We need them to become leaders in our churches. And I pray that you would help them to get established spiritually. And we think of our pastor, Spangler, and his wife, uh, Sherry, Lord, and in Florida, I pray that you would help them, uh, be with them in a special way, give them traveling mercies this morning, and that is tomorrow morning, Lord, as they travel home, I pray that you would just be with them. And then, Lord, for the remainder of this service, we need your help. I pray that you would help those that sing. Bless in the offering, Lord. Help our pastor Brenizer as he brings the message today. I pray that it would be anointed of God and it would find lodging in our hearts. Help us all, Lord, to go home a different way and then what we came. I pray that you would help us to grow in grace, Lord, and in the knowledge of your wonderful love and mercy. Help us throughout this day and we'll give you By way of announcements, of course, as you think about it throughout the day, comes to your mind, offer a word of prayer for the closing day of the youth convention in Beavertown. Of course, there will be afternoon sessions and different speakers throughout the afternoon. 
at least four speakers, I believe, throughout the afternoon and in the closing service tonight. Thankful for the Lord's help over there so far. Thankful for our, all of our young people that have been able and have, uh, have attended. Thankful for Eric and Jill and all the work that they've put into it and, and working with our young people and, and, and praying that God would bless them over there. Of course, I, I'm sure many of you know, if not all of you know, that Eric serves on the board uh, of the Youth Convention and is heavily involved with what goes on over there. And so let's just be remembering them, praying that God's will will be done. It's an exciting time of year, but be praying for our young people. And this is with Youth Convention, this is my, my biggest concern, my biggest prayer. God, as these young people leave this get-together where God's presence comes, and it's so wonderful and encouraging to be amongst a bunch of other young people who are, who are serving God and stepping out and choosing to go God's way. Tomorrow, when, when the convention's over and throughout the next several weeks, I know I know. I know as a young person, the devil would fight so hard after youth camp or after youth convention or, or right after those activities. Stuff, you know, God would work in your life throughout that week, but then the next week the devil would fight. Pray for our young people throughout the next several weeks. God would help them. God would continue to work through them, strengthen them as the devil would fight. Help them in ordinary life to serve God fully. And so let's remember, just continue to remember our young people. In, in prayer. Upcoming announcements to make you aware of, February 5th through the 9th is the Penview uh, Revival. March 5th through the 7th is the Bus and Outreach Convention. Trust each of you got a bulletin this morning. There are several other announcements and, and a little, a little uh, excerpt in there about several announcements. Clear out to Mount Blessings Camp. If Mount Blessings Camp isn't on your calendar already, the dates are here in your bulletin. You can put all those things on your bulletin so you will know when those when those are coming up. Ushers, if you'll come at this time for our morning tithes and offering. All right. Brother Andy, would you ask God's blessing in the offering, please? Father, thank you for the privilege of being in your house again this morning. We pray that you would bless the gift, the giver today. To you be all the glory in Jesus' name we pray.
thank you for your giving and thank you musicians for that offertory. We have a special number in song at this time. Just more. 
Thank you. Thank you for that this morning. One of the amazing things about the Christian life and about living for Jesus is you come to Jesus because of your absolute need for him when you realize of how helpless you really are in, in life, how much you need a savior. The fact that because of your own decisions, your path is headed towards hell and eternal destruction and you need a savior to rescue you from that path. And so you find Jesus. Well, Jesus finds you and beckons you and calls you to himself to give your life to him. And by God's grace, you do that, yield yourself, and it's wonderful, amazing to give your life to Christ. But then you find that the reality is there's, when you become a Christian, there's still a lot of hardship in life. Life didn't all of a sudden become extremely easy and, and everything's just, just, just dandy, just wonderful. But you find that Jesus is wonderful. And through your entire Christian experience, you find that serving him is wonderful. And God does this amazing thing that, that, that nobody else is able to really, to really do. He puts a desire for him in you. And as you start to seek him and as you start to walk with him and start to give your, just, just, just doing what God wants you to do, that song right there becomes a reality in your life because God is putting that desire, he's planted that desire in you. Each person is, has a God-sized void that needs, can only be filled by God. But he's given you this, it, it's, it's a, you're, Salvation is for the sake, or the, the biggest reason is because you're lost and because you're, you're eternally headed for destruction and God saves you, but then when he saves you, it's wonderful to walk with Jesus. That's amazing, folks. That's amazing. It's not just a taskmaster who says, now that I've saved you and because I've rescued you here, you need to do all these things for me and out of fear or out of obligation, you just do. No, there's, there's joy, there's wonder because God has done something. It's the most amazing, wonderful thing. It amazes me when I think of it, why, how God would design it. It's, it's, it's just beautiful and it's wonderful. And I'm thankful that he does that, that he puts that desire, that, that, that we want him, that we say no to this world and say no to ourselves and say yes to God. I want more and more of God, and it gets better and better. I'm thankful for the Christian life. I'm thankful to be a Christian. It's not because 
of my own of my own strength or because I say myself no it's because of the grace of Jesus. We have a will, folks. We have a will to choose, to choose whether or not when God calls us, whether or not to follow him. But, but friends, it's not because of your own strength that you serve the Lord. It's because of God's power. It's because of God's strength that he gives you. And it, Jesus is the most wonderful, amazing being in existence. And I'm thankful. I'm thankful for that this morning. I give him praise. I give him praise this morning. He's worthy, folks. He's worthy. Stand with me together this morning. I invite you to open your Bibles to Galatians chapter 1. Put your finger in Galatians chapter 1 and turn to Matthew chapter 6. Galatians 1, a finger in Galatians 1, then Matthew, Matthew 6. begin reading with verse 1 in Matthew 6. And I'm going to take a little bit of liberty here and in, 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 in change or reinterpret, or that's not the right term, but try to better explain some of these words to understand the meaning here in the first three or four verses here. You'll, you'll see what I'm doing as I go through this. Matthew 6, verse 1, Take heed that ye do not your alms, or, or, or take heed that ye do not your righteousness before men to be seen of them. Otherwise ye have no reward of your Father which is in heaven. Therefore when thou, when thou doest thine alms, or, or, or when, they, when you give to the needy, is how this would be translated then, do not sound a trumpet before thee as the hypocrites do in the synagogues, and in the streets that they may have glory of men. Verily I say unto you, they have your reward. But when thou doest alms, or when, thou, when you are giving to the needy, let not thy left hand know what thy right hand doeth, that thy giving, or that thy alms, thy giving, may be in secret. And thy Father which seeth in secret himself shall reward thee openly. And when thou prayest, Thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets that they may be seen of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet, and when thou hast shut thy door, pray to thy Father which is in secret, and thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly." And when ye pray, use not vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. Be not therefore like unto them, for your Father knoweth what things ye have need of before ye ask. After this manner, therefore, pray ye, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven." Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. For if ye forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if ye forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Moreover, when ye fast, be not as the hypocrites of a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces, that they may appear unto men to fast. Verily I say unto you, that they have their reward. But thou, when thou fastest, anoint thy head and wash thy face, that thou appear not unto men to fast, but unto thy Father which is in secret. And thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee 
openly. Galatians chapter 1, verse 10, one verse. For do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? For if I yet pleased men, I should not be the servant of Christ. Our text then, or our focus verses, all these verses apply, but our focus verses maybe would be right there. For if I yet pleased men, I, sh- I should not be the servant of Christ. And then Matthew 6, 1, Take heed that ye do not your righteousness before men to be seen of them. Sister Hoffman, would you ask God's blessing on the sermon, please? Lord, we thank you for being in your presence today. We thank you for your service. We pray that you would anoint the speaker and we'll give you all the praise. Amen. You may be seated. On August the 16th, 1977, a shocked nation learned that the king was dead. No, this king was not a monarch or a member of royalty, yet he was so famous that the mere mention of his first name, even today, Elvis, everyone knows who I'm talking about. Elvis Presley was just 42 years old when he passed. And yet in his short life, he became arguably one of the most famous Americans of the 20th century. Born in obscure poverty in 1935, Elvis grew up as an unremarkable young man. He wasn't popular in school, was often picked on and belittled. And yet after graduating, Elvis entered the music world, performing over the radio. And his music and style was well received and he grew in popularity. Throughout the later 1950s, Elvis became increasingly more popular, fans going wild at his live concerts and him attracting tons of views to his movies that he starred in. In 1958, Elvis was drafted to serve in the U.S. military and and serve for two years of service, a two-year period of time in which his stardom or which his performances were no longer made. He returns then after two years of service and and returned to his celebrity career and he stars in more Hollywood productions, but these movies aren't really well received. You see, the culture culture shift in America is, is shifting at this point. Elvis was the star of the fluffy, meaningless love sagas, which, which, which his movies were centered around, and his songs, too, a lot were centered around. And yet, the culture at large in America was becoming more and more concerned with, with, with heavy matters of life, with the civil rights movement at this time, and then, the, and then the, the justification of war, and the anti-war movement, and all those things are going on, what the culture is focusing on at this time. Elvis is staying away of these politically charged issues and as a result is losing touch with the culture and losing significance in the public eye. However, in 1968, Elvis made a change in his career from starring in more and more movies to returning to the stage. And in this pivot launched Elvis back into the spotlight and put him possibly at the height of his career. 
And yet this highlight, this limelight only lasted a few years. Elvis at this time is is overeating and he's taking many, many, many prescription drugs. It's really interesting. Elvis took a public hard stand against marijuana usage, which was becoming popular at the time, viewing that as, as despicable. And yet at the same time, he had, he had convinced the doctor to, com- to continuously be supplying him with prescription drugs, which he was regularly consuming. Elvis is, is gaining weight from his unhealthy eating habits. And as his career is nearing its end and as his life is nearing its end, Elvis is seen struggling to make it through concerts, sometimes seeming incoherent, sometimes not being able to, to remember all the words of the songs, and sometimes barely seeming like he can even remain standing on the stage. And on August 16, 1977, his fiancée found Elvis dead on the bathroom floor. The autopsy report uh, declared that Elvis had died from cardiac arrest, and though that claim is still widely challenged today, many people, including doctors, including some of the people involved on on teams who have studied, studied the autopsy, think that Elvis probably died from drug usage. Friends, what a sad, pathetic end to a life, to a star life, to a popular life such as his. There's no question that that Presley was a talented individual. His his popularity wasn't based upon nothing. He had an incredible amount of talent. And yet when reviewing his life and the choices that he made, we are faced today with the decisions, we're faced with the the results of one who has lived their life to be seen in the eyes of men. No doubt Elvis was wildly popular both in America and worldwide. He's still popular today. He's still considered an icon of the 20th century. He's titled the king of rock and roll, and many would consider that success. Many young people at that time looked up to him and idolized him and wanted to be who he was. You would think that all of this would make him happy. A very happy, contented individual. And yet his biographers show us that the opposite is true. He was unhappy at the end of his life. He was wrapped up in what people thought of him. As his career was ending and his bad choices were causing him serious issues on the stage, his audiences were dwindling, his popularity was fading. And for a man consumed with his popularity, this made Elvis extremely unhappy. He was then caught in an ugly cycle that ultimately resulted in the end of his life. So many people today might say that Elvis was a great individual who had tremendous impact upon society and it was a life well lived. But I see a person who lived to be seen in the eyes of men, who died lost, lonely, and unsatisfied. The celebrity world continues on today. Millions, billions of dollars are spent on the entertainment industry within our own nation, let alone worldwide. And people, because of their talent or because of their bodies, are cast for roles and portrayed as stars. And these people live to be seen in the eyes of men, but it's a fake world separate from reality. And, and the headlines are, 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 are 
regularly bringing up the tragic ends of these people who, 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 have, who have, their lives have ended miserable, awful, terrible lives. Friends, it's not worth it to live to be seen in the eyes of men. And yet today, the enemy of our soul still tries to convince us to make decisions, to make our choices to be seen in the eyes of men. He wants us to be caught up in what others will think so that we will spend no time considering what God really thinks. And friends, this enemy is a liar, he is wrong, and he belongs in hell. God tells us in his word that instead of living to be seen in the eyes of men, we are to live to be seen in the eyes of God. Matthew 6, Jesus gives us three, or tells us three times, don't live to be seen in the eyes of men. In Galatians 1.10, Paul writes that to live to please men is to not be the servant of God. God's message for us is that we are to live to please him and not live to be seen in the eyes of men. In the Old Testament, we find an example of this lifestyle portrayed, living for God to be seen in the eyes of God rather than to be seen in the eyes of men. Indeed, in the first six chapters of the book of Daniel, we find six examples of heroes of the faith who live to be seen in the eyes of God rather than the eyes of men. We go to Daniel chapter 1. We find Daniel and his three friends along with several other youths of nobility who have been... Daniel 1 starts out with Babylon capturing Israel and destroying Israel. And, they, and Babylon takes choice prisoners. They take some choice prisoners. They choose some of the young princes and nobles of the land. And they take them apart from the other prisoners. And they take them back to Babylon. And their intent is to completely culturally indoctrinate these nobles and these young men and train them in the ways of Babylon and raise them up to be leaders according to Babylonian philosophy, according to wicked philosophy, according to wicked lifestyle, according to the ways and cultures and religion of Babylon. So Daniel and his three friends are part of these people and they are taken back to the king's palace and they are enrolled in king's palace training, 101. The problem is for Daniel, but one major issue comes up, and that is the fact that these young men are served from the king's table. You would think that that would be a really good thing. I mean, the other prisoners that were taken back to Babylon, uh, they're probably slaves. They're probably not getting treated very well. But these guys are getting to eat from the king's table. The choices of meats, the choices of drink, it, it, it would seem all great. And yet there's a problem with this. Daniel knew that if he partook of this food and partook of this drink, that it would defile him. Whether that was because the, because the food offered to him was against uh, Jewish law, against the Mosaic law, whether it was pork or some other food that had been forbidden, whether it was because that maybe some of that food in its preparation had been offered to idols, or, or maybe because Daniel knew that partaking of 
of this food would just be one more step into being completely consumed into the Babylonian lifestyle and the Babylonian way, which was evil, which was wicked, which was against God's way and God's law. For whatever reason, Daniel knew that it would defile himself. And so in Daniel 1.8, we find these words. Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine which he drank. Therefore, he asked the prince of the eunuchs to allow him to not defile himself. Friends, think about the possible outcomes of such a request. Uh, Daniel is extremely privileged above all other prisoners taken back from, uh, from, from Jerusalem. Uh, he could be laying all of that privilege on the line. Maybe when he goes to chief of the eunuchs, the chief of the eunuchs and, and the people in charge are going to be like, seriously, you're asking that question? You're talking to us in that way? Well, you can go back with these other slaves. You can go back there. Daniel may be putting that on the line. Obviously, probably there's going to be a competition for leadership among these Israels. Daniel may want to stand out in the eyes of men to be seen as the best, to get the top position. But Daniel doesn't do any of that. Instead, he chooses to be seen in the eyes of God rather than the eyes of men. And he makes an extremely hard decision to lay all of his future on the line and ask the prince of the eunuchs for a way not to devile himself. Of course, the story goes on. The prince of the eunuchs sets up a test. Daniel and his three friends eat vegetables and drink water. All the other people eat from the... Um, from the table of the king, times goes past, they compare them. And here, uh, Daniel and his three friends, the Bible says, they're better looking and they're fatter than all of the other people. And so, so the, print, the chief of the eunuchs decided, put everybody on this vegetarian diet for them to, to eat. But Daniel had purposed and Daniel had made the decision and Daniel had chosen to be seen in the eyes of God rather than the eyes of of men. Okay, so let's go to Daniel chapter 2. Nebuchadnezzar has a dream in Daniel chapter 2, and this dream disturbs him. The problem with this dream is, is he wakes up and can't remember what this dream is. I'm sure you've had that experience. I've had that experience. You wake up, you think, wow, I'm pretty sure I dreamed something pretty intense last night, but I can't remember what it is. Well, this dream troubled Nebuchadnezzar, and he wanted it interpreted for him. Well, he wanted more than interpreted for him. He wanted the magician. He called the magicians and astrologers and all, all these wise people, and he said to them, I've had this dream. I need you to tell me the dream and tell me the interpretation thereof. And the magicians and the astrologers go, this is a problem. How in the world are we supposed to tell you the dream, let alone make up a possible interpretation for you? And so they tell the king, what you're asking is impossible. We can't do it. The king gets mad and says, okay, all the wise men, magicians, astrologers, and such are worthless. Let's behead them all. Daniel is included in this list of people who are now set for destruction. When Daniel finds out about that, he tells the, 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 the chief of the eunuchs or, or the prince or whoever is responsible for telling him, wait on carrying out the king's orders. Let me go pray, and maybe we can find a solution to that. He goes before the Lord, prays before the Lord. The Lord reveals to him what he needs to go to Nebuchadnezzar and tell. He goes to Nebuchadnezzar. He comes in before Nebuchadnezzar, and, and, and he tells Nebuchadnezzar, I can tell you or... or 
the Nebuchadnezzar asks him the question. He says, are you able to tell me the dream and tell me the interpretation thereof? Okay, Daniel is now standing before one of the most powerful people in the world. This is a perfect opportunity for self-promotion, perfect opportunity to look good in the king's eyes and get somewhere in life. What does Daniel say? No wise man, enchanters, magicians, or astrologers can show the king the mystery that the king has asked, but there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries, and he has been made known to king and he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. Daniel, this is an opportunity. He doesn't even have to brag too much. He's already in really good standing. And what does he do? All the credit goes to God. It has nothing to do with me. Daniel chose to be seen in the eyes of God rather than to be seen in the eyes of men. Daniel chapter 3, we come to a very popular story, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You're familiar with the story. The king has set up an image. The king Nebuchadnezzar has made a decree that all the, all the nobility of the nation needs to gather together, come before this image that I have set up, and when the trumpet's blown and all the, you know, list a ton of instruments, when all those things are, are, are sounded, when this whole orchestra starts, everybody needs to bow down and worship the golden image that I've set up. That goes against God's law. That no other gods before me is part of the Ten Commandments. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego know this. They're not going to bow before this image. This would be wrong. They are people, of course, Nebuchadnezzar has said, he has given the order that if you don't bow down, you're going to be thrown in the fiery furnace. Well, that's a bad ending to a day, I would say. So this is, this is a difficult choice for them to make. They could go along with the crowd. They could please the crowd. This could help them out in life. If they don't go along with the crowd, the result is impending death, very bad death for them. And what do they choose? You know the story. They don't bow down. The king hears about it, calls him before him, says, I'll give you a second chance if you'll bow down. They said, no, we're not going to bow down. We're serving the king or we're serving God. The, the, the fiery furnace may burn us up. God may deliver us. Whatever the result, we are going to serve God. They chose to be seen in the eyes of God rather than the eyes of men. Of course, you know, they get thrown in the fire of furnace. The guys who throw them in die, but they're walking around in the furnace and they see the Son of God in the furnace walking around with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. It's an tremendous story, but Shadrach, they didn't know this. They didn't know what happened. They chose to be seen in the eyes of God rather than be seen in the eyes of of men. Daniel chapter 4, fourth illustration. Nebuchadnezzar has another dream. This dream reveals to Nebuchadnezzar that, that the once powerful, the, he is the most powerful man in the world, and yet he's to be severely humbled. This dream does not have a good ending for Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, and so he calls Daniel in to interpret, interpret the dream, and, and Daniel said, this is not a good dream. Daniel had an opportunity there. He could have been like all the other astrologers and magicians and made up an answer that sounded good. You know, he could have done that, seen in the eyes of men rather than seen in the eyes of God. But no, Daniel stayed true to what God said and what God wanted. And so he tells Nebuchadnezzar, this is the dream. And it is, looks like if you continue on the path that you're going because of your wickedness, you're going to be severely humbled. And then, and then 
Daniel says this, Therefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable to you. Break off your sins. Stop sinning and start practicing righteousness, he says, and your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed, that there may be perhaps be a lengthening of your prosperity. Daniel didn't learn how to flatter kings in, in his king training in 101, apparently, or he didn't listen. No, he said the truth. This, who goes before the most powerful man in the world and tells him, you need to stop sinning? That's not when your friends and influence, but Daniel chose to be seen in the eyes of God rather than in the eyes of men and delivered the message. Daniel chapter 5, we have a new king over, we have a new king in Babylon, this one called Belshazzar. Belshazzar calls Daniel because there's been handwriting on the wall. Daniel comes to interpret this writing on the wall, and Belshazzar promises him, if you interpret this, I'll give you, and he just lists a ton of luxurious things that he's going to give Daniel. You're going to be very rich. You're going to be very well. And Daniel responded by saying, let your gifts be for yourself and give your rewards to another. Nevertheless, I will read the writing to the king and make known him the interpretation. Daniel choosing all those gifts could have elevated him even better in life. Got along better in life. He could have, all his friends and all his coworkers and all those people around him, he gets even more popular in Babylon. This is great. You know, this, is, this really sets him up. No, to be seen in the eyes of God rather than to be seen in the eyes of men. Daniel chapter 6, probably the most famous story from Daniel. Daniel and the lion's den. You know the story. There's people conspiring against Daniel. They come up with this plot. Let's make a decree and have Darius, by the way, between Daniel chapter 5 and 6, we have a complete empire change in the story because, because, um, because the Medes and Persians have conquered Babylon. That is what the handwriting of the wall was all about, that they were coming to conquer Babylon. Indeed, that night they conquered Babylon and they took over Babylon. So we have a new king and it's King Darius. And so this is a new king, but God has preserved Daniel is still in a good position there in relation to the kings. And so, so, so then you have these people who are plotting against Daniel and they say, well, we'll come up with this. We'll come up with this, this scheme. Daniel likes to pray to his God. We'll make a new rule. Uh, everybody who prays or does any sort of worship within the next month or the next however long needs to be to King Darius. King Darius reads this. He says, this sounds pretty cool. I like this. So he signs the law that can't be changed. And if anybody breaks it, they're going to get thrown in the lion's den. Then all the schemers go and watch. What does Daniel choose to do? To be seen in the eyes of God or be seen in the eyes of men? He chooses to be seen in the eyes of God. He still goes to prayer, even though he knows. He knows. I'm sure he knows these people are scheming against him. I'm sure he knows that the results are he's going to be thrown in the lion's den. But choose to be seen in the eyes of God rather than the eyes of men. Of course, Daniel is punished. He's thrown in the lion's den. You know the story. God shuts the, mouth, the, shuts the mouths of the lions. They don't eat him up. He survives the night, comes back out, and God is glorified as a result. And all the schemers are thrown in the lion's den, and God didn't shut the mouths of the lions that time. But a, uh, So that, that story ends that way. But, but Daniel had chosen to be seen in the eyes of God rather than the eyes of men. And friends, this tells us this morning, six examples in six chapters, this tells us this morning, it is possible to live your life so that you are seen in the eyes of God rather than being, being seen in the eyes of men. The Pharisees hadn't got this message. The Pharisees had skipped over Daniel 1 through 6 apparently. 
And Jesus outlines three different areas that, that the Pharisees are living. They're doing religious things to be seen in the eyes of men rather than be seen in the eyes of God. They're giving to the needy publicly. They described it, Jesus describes it like they're blowing a trumpet in the street to let everyone know that they are now donating their money to the needy. Letting everybody know that they're doing a good deed. Jesus said, when you do your good works, when you give to the needy and things like that, do it in secret. Don't let everybody know. And rest in the fact that God knows and he will be the one to reward you. Pharisees are praying publicly. They're giving these very beautiful sounding empty prayers on the street corners so everyone can see them. Using all this fancy language to say their prayers. So everybody comes along and says, look at how spiritual these Pharisees are. No, they weren't spiritual. They were trying to get people to look at them rather than directing their attention towards God. And in response to that, Jesus says, when you pray, don't make a big show of it. Go in a closet so no one knows. And there you can pray to your father in secret. And then your father will reward you. Rest in the fact that he knows and he will reward you. The Pharisees fasted publicly. They knew how to portray their faces so that everyone knew that they were fasting. And everyone knew, oh, these people, these Pharisees are so spiritual. Jesus said, no, that's not spiritual. That's not the way you do it. When you fast, uh, he says, clean yourself up so that when you go out, when, you're, when, you're, when people see you, they have no idea that you're fasting. Your fasting is between you and me. And rest in the fact that God knows, and he will be the one to reward you. Friends, our calling is to live pleasing to God. Jesus tells us not to live to be seen in the eyes of men because it gets our, our focus on the wrong goal. Even modern psychology tells you that people who are wrapped up in what other people think about them, that's bad. That's, their mental health is messed up, they say. The psychologists will tell you this. But yet they lack, those secular psychologists lack a good remedy for the issue. Friends, friends, this is important. The issue is not simply to guard against paying too much attention what others think. That's not just what Jesus is talking about here. He's not just saying, uh, 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 make sure you're not paying too much attention to what others think. No, the issue is to be consumed with what God thinks. Replacing what people think with what God thinks. Then may we may say with the psalmist, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. We may act like Paul when he said, Wherefore we labor that whether absent or whether present or absent, we may be accepted of him. May we walk as Paul instructed, that ye might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. And may it truly be, whether therefore ye eat or drink, or whatsoever ye do, do it all for the glory of God. 
Friends, in closing this morning, consider the example of our Lord. In Psalm 53, we find these words, Two hath believed our report, and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, and as a root out of a dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness, and when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. Jesus didn't come to this earth to be seen in the eyes of men. There were so many that wanted Jesus to set up an empire, a worldly, earthly empire at that time, where he would be crowned the leader of all these people who would follow him. But Jesus' allegiance was to the eyes of God, not to the eyes of men. So he was despised. He was rejected. No form, no comeliness. He wasn't that attractive. He came to fulfill what God wanted him to do. He came with love for the world and to fulfill the world, the word of God. And so this morning, friends, right here, Right now, we are faced with this question asked by the Word of God. Friend, are you living to be seen in the eyes of men or to be seen in the eyes of God? The choices you make, the things you do, the words they, you say, is that motivated to be seen in God's eyes? Or is the motivation because you care or because you're concerned or because you want to be seen in the eyes of men? Shall we stand? Father in heaven, we thank you for your word and for your truth. We thank you for your goodness, Lord. We thank you for your love to us. Father, I pray that you would help us this morning. Your word challenges us, O oh God, to orient our lives around what you think, not around what other people think. And I pray this morning, Lord, that every heart and every mind and every soul would be concerned about what you think, Lord. If there's issues, Lord, maybe you're speaking this morning and maybe you're, you're touching on an issue in someone's life. It's just between you and God, uh, between them and you this morning, Lord. And they, they can sense this morning that, that this issue right there, it's come right to mind. That issue right there, Lord, I pray that they would surrender that to you today and that they would live to be seen in your eyes to glorify you, concern, Lord, about what you think, to live honoring and pleasing to God. Help us as we go our separate ways today. May we be glorifying to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You are dismissed.